Welcome to the Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee for December 4th, 2017. Thanks for joining me. I'm Tim Patterson. Got my coffee. It's Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. I'm Trade Show Guy, owner of Trade Show Guy Exhibits. We are a project management exhibit company. And also the author of Trade Show Success, 14 Proven Steps to Take Your Trade Show Marketing to the Next Level. You can find my blog if you aren't there right now at tradeshowguyblog.com. Honored to share with you today a fun and engaging conversation with Candy Adams, a.k.a. The Booth Mom. Candy and I met many years ago uh, on the phone. Uh, never spoke face-to-face, never met in person, but uh, that was over 10 years ago on my previous uh, podcast with my previous company. Uh, Candy has logged hundreds of shows over the years handling logistics and staff training and, and so much more. So here's that uh, fun conversation. I'm speaking with Candy Adams, the booth mom. And Candy, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee uh, podcast, vlog, whatever you want to call it. It's, and it's great to see you. Good to see you. And we talked many years ago. I actually ran across the uh, tape of it, uh, which we recorded, I think it was 2003. I mean, so so it, yeah. it's been a while. And uh, here in the green room, we we're just talking about your your uh, your uh, experience and your resume, which is uh, 89 pages long. Now you've detailed everything, all the shows. How many shows have you done now? Well, I just finished 480 and CES will be 481. And, and you've got a busy 2018 planned, I'm guessing. Well, yes and no. I mean, I've yep. got room for new clients. I had the perfect storm last year and actually lost three clients. <laughs> One pulled out of shows because the cost of floor space couldn't prove ROI anymore. One of them, my contact with a company, moved on to another company that, that basically was not doing as many shows and didn't need my services. And the third one had a B2B product that they decided to take B2C, and it actually relaunched this past Monday. Hmm. The thing is, I don't do consumer shows. Right. I do trade shows. Yeah, yeah. So, like I say, that was the perfect storm for me. So last year, really, you know, this past year has been a rough one of reestablishing and figuring out what do I want to be when I grow up. Well, <laughs> we're all working on that. I think we'll always be working on that. But so when people come to you, what are they actually hiring you to do? I mean, you're calling yourself the booth mom. You, you coordinate so much stuff, but what do they really want you to do? What, what do they get to you for? The number one thing I do is work for companies that don't have a full-time professional exhibit manager on staff. So you step into that position. And I basically walk in and say, you help me with the content. I'll take over all of the tactics to make your dreams come true. So logistics, shipping, IND, all that stuff. You just well, basically over. Well, I do a lot of international companies who even need help getting visas into the country. Uh, okay. Uh, doing international shipping. I am an agent for Airways, so I can actually help a lot with their, their transportation. So it's what do they need? Now, in the last two days, I've gotten two different calls. and Well, actually, off my website, my boothmom.com website, one of them was somebody wanting help writing an RFP. And number one, they don't know who the companies are out there that are reputable, who do right. what they say they're going to do. And the other one is that they've not had good luck writing these in-house. So I do quite a bit of work on RFPs with companies. The other thing I do a lot of is exhibit staff training and training for associations who actually want to train all of their exhibitors at once. So they'll pick something like lead gathering and follow-up. Or they'll pick something like a class for all their rookies, because truthfully, that's where my passion is, um, as the booth mom, is looking for orphans, people who are out there and don't have anybody to take them under their wing and teach them how to do it right the first time. 
Well, I know when I first got into the industry, I basically didn't even know the industry existed because I spent so long in radio. And then I, uh, I, I came into the industry and I had to learn from scratch. And, and uh, so, yeah, there was, there's a lot of newbies. And I'm sure I've, I've seen some statistics on it, people that show up at uh, any, any major show. There's still like 30 or 40% of the people there that have never been to that show before. And so they're new. So there's always people stepping in and learning as, as any industry. People are cycling out. People are cycling in. Yes. And I just did, the, the last show I did was supercomputing, and it was my 16th consecutive supercomputing show. And what I love about this industry is some of them actually start feeling more like a, a class reunion. Right. A trade show for me. The people come looking for me and say, did you bring the cookies? Because I bake 40 dozen <laughs> cookies for every show. And I just call them my friend makers. Yeah. And everybody comes, and I mean, I've actually heard them put out an APB on the radios saying, you know, Candy, the cookie lady, is in booth number, you know, 1107. Right. All of a sudden, my old friends show up to get their cookies. To get the cookies and say hi. That's, yeah. that's great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, when you're training staff. You, you talked about the uh, – you, you kind of have a couple of different ways of approaching. Um, you, you, you do some off-site and then you do some on-site. So maybe you could go through that, how that works, and what kind of things are important to, to get into their heads as they're going to a show, maybe for the first time or second or third time. Okay. Well, I do too. I do what I call exhibit management training, and that is for the people who are actually running the show. They, and I'll even bring the stakeholders in on part of it, where it's the decision-making process. And sometimes they bring me in basically what I consider on an emergency basis. They're a few weeks out from the show and haven't even got an exhibit. I mean, it's like, what can we, let's put a Band-Aid on something that really needed a tourniquet a month ago, but right. now we don't have time for it, so let's get a Band-Aid on it. And so I do exhibit management training, and it's truthfully walking through what I consider the steps. I've got a two-page list of what I consider are the critical path to any successful trade show. And walking through that and saying, based on your goals, which ones of these do you still need? Which ones do you want me to do? Which ones can you do in-house? Which ones can I farm out? You know, how can we make this happen? The second thing is exhibit staff training, and I look at that as one of, I consider the big three places where we shoot ourselves in the foot by not doing enough training of the staff who aren't in an exhibit every day. They're not comfortable with it. They're not comfortable with the elevator speeches. They're not comfortable with the qualifying questions. And basically they need to role play it. And so to me, whether it's on site as part of a staff meeting right now, I'm working on a meeting and I got one in January and one in April I'm doing for companies. And both of those are part of their annual sales meeting. So that's one thing. Another one is where you actually show up at the show the day before and you rally the troops. And then you do the same thing of basically, you know, how do you greet and engage the people? How do you qualify the people? And then what kind of a presentation are you going to do? Are you doing it? Are you passing it off to somebody that's, you know, a demo pro that can actually show the product? And then... How do you close the loop? Did they get what they needed out of that? Is there an opportunity to cross-sell? You know, what other challenges might we have, whether it's a PR nightmare? I've had those where something came out about the company right before the show. Um, who are the VIPs you expect to come in? Um, what's the media going to be trying to dig for? And then actually closing the loop on it and taking down the information. And it amazes me walking around a show at the beginning of a show, how many people haven't even picked up the lead scanning system to know how to, to run the badge? 
Right, right. And what information can they put in and should they put in? So many people don't customize it. So it's working through all of those things and then going to the booth and actually having what I consider the booth orientation of, I look at the booth as our stage. Yep. We've built a stage. Now we've got to get our actors ready to know what their script is. And that's their qualifying questions, their elevator speech and demos, that type of thing. But then what other props do we have for them to use? What's on the graphics? What's on the videos that are running? What collateral do we have? What giveaways do we have? All of those things and basically saying this has to be part of an orientation. So when the people step into the booth the morning of the show, it's not like, well, where's the water? Or yeah, where's what do we do? To have a meeting? <laughs> or where's the schedule of when I'm supposed to work? They have to know all those things the day before. And I'm so guessing that, uh, I, excuse me, I was, I was, I'm guessing that once these staffers go through all this and they learn where everything is, what they need to do, there's a lot of buy-in on, on the success of the show. And so they, they, are, they feel part of it, which is very, very important. I love the old story about the, the guy that was the janitor at NASA who uh, someone asked him as a visitor, what are you doing here? He said, help, help him put a mat on the moon, you know? I mean, and because he realizes his part in the whole thing. And so if they realize their part, they have buy-in. And, th- and I think that's a big part of what you do is, is walking them through all of that. Well, there are two things I like to say, Tim, and one is take the number of leads or contacts or whatever you're measuring to the personal level. So if I expect to get X number of leads and I have this number of hours and I know my high and low traffic flow, can I expect every person to buy into getting, let's say, six contacts an hour? And basically asking them, can you do this for me? Can you do this for the company? Because this is our goal, and if everybody does it, we're going to make our goal. That's the right. first thing. And then the other one is looking at the, the contact with the people and what are the wins. Too often we walk away from these shows, and we don't know what the wins were. Each person has personal wins, and at the end of the show, I actually have a little piece of paper and it says, please document your top three personal wins at the show. And that becomes part of my post-show report. But I'm a big believer in mid-course correction, have the meetings at the end of every shift and having the meeting at the end of the, you know, whatever the last shift is and getting them to tell you, you know, based on what happened here, would you come back next year or what would you do different? Because once they're off-site, you've lost them. And I'm guessing the, the fact that you walk everybody through that is so different than what most uh, exhibitors are doing. I, I'm guessing the most exhibitors, uh, in, in fact, let me just uh, interrupt myself here, because one of the things that I've read ever since I got into this industry was that eight out of 10 leads never make it back and never followed up on. And that seems to hold true. And there's so many reasons for that to happen. And one of them is, is they don't know how to, how to grade a lead. They don't know how, what to do with it. They don't know what the follow-up is. There's no agreement with the potential lead. And so I'm sure that's a lot of what you walk through. But if they've succeeded in doing all that, then they're going to feel good about it. And that's kind of the way you close the loop. I like the way you do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've done really creative things like, you know, if you fill out this five question survey and staple it on your expense report, attach it, you'll get priority processing from accounting. I mean, I've done all kinds of things to get people. But basically, it's just easier before you lose them. And at the end of each day, ask what happened, what worked, what didn't. And and don't, don't take no for an answer. 
Well, let me, uh, before we close this up, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about the Plan B thing, which is, of course, one of the popular columns in Exhibitor Magazine, and you run across Plan B all the time. In fact, when we were emailing you, you had a Plan B over the holidays. Uh, but what that really means uh, to me is that people run into to issues and problems and challenges, and they have to deal with them on the fly. And, and obviously, having done 480 shows, you run into your share of, of Plan Bs, I'm guessing. Well, I have to say that if you ask Exhibitor who Anonymous is in their column, <laughs> a few of those have been mine because yeah. you don't want to start naming clients, you know? But right, um, you don't want to point people out, but but the stories are good. Yeah, because yeah. we learn from the and, stories. And good lessons learned. I mean, that's the yeah. first thing when when I get my magazine. That's the first thing I go to. Right. But this one was a challenge for a number of reasons. Um, we had people coming from overseas who were going to be shipping equipment. They didn't want me to help. They had it all handled until they found out they didn't have the correct paperwork and it wasn't going to get here on time, which changed all the demos in our entire exhibit that we couldn't hook back to their supercomputer. Uh, then we sort of regrouped on the layout of the booth because the computer rack wasn't going to be there. Then we had to cancel some and get some different furniture to fill up that space. Then I found out that the man who was bringing all the under carpet cables for the revised setup, he had a mechanical failure, was going to miss his connection, and wasn't going to be there before the carpet got laid. <laughs> so when I hit Denver for the show, I got to go shopping. And what's funny is the vernacular difference of what we call like a Cat 6 cable. Right. They call it a copper. Go buy me a copper. Yeah. And uh, what's copper, you know? And when you're talking <laughs> technology and demos, you don't want to take make any assumptions. No, you want to get the right I'm thing. I'm traveling and I'm having trouble getting a hold of anybody to tell me what's he actually hooking up on both ends. Because if you tell me that, I can go buy a copper, you know, whatever it is. So we got to that. He did show up. He was there at 730 in the morning when my labor crew was coming at 8. We got the cables down. Um... Then we found out our fiber optic was cut and we had to go get the people before we could put the, the carpet down so we could do like two thirds of our carpet. Then um, it got better when we set up the, got the pad down the carpet, the visqueen, and the tower was the biggest part of this, a triangular tower with a closet in it and all the equipment that was going to this copper. And the best part was the exhibit house that I was working with, and this was a one-time rental, first time I'd worked with them, but somebody known in the industry, not gonna name names, but they had a new CAD guy who basically didn't do an overlay to make sure that the electrical placement he gave us was in the closet, not outside the closet. So all our cuts in the carpet were in front of the tower, but oh, I'd never seen this tower set up before, it's a rental. Right. So we got to three of us pick it up. They let me help. You know, Denver's not a, a high union town. So I got to move it out into the aisle. And with them, you know, we each grabbed a corner of this triangular tower and then had to move and pat the carpet as well as we could where we made all these cuts. Got the rest of the exhibit up until the point where we hung the fourth monitor, which was cracked. And I never knew a cracked monitor looks like green plaid Christmas paper. <laughs> <laughs> that was what was on the screen. So I contact the exhibit house and he starts calling around. Uh, at the same time, my iPhone decides to literally consume the last of its battery. So uh, my iPhone is dead and I spent six hours at Apple in Denver 
not to a happy conclusion, lost 700 of my contacts in the transfer. Oh, yikes. Yeah. So finally found out that every Walmart in the Denver area, all the way, I mean, like 30 miles out, was sold out of the 40-inch monitors that would match the other three that I had. So I ended up going to a Costco and buying them, buying the one that I needed. Got that and got back and was no more back with that. And my contact with the company decides it looks bare at the info counter. We need a big spray of orchids, but they have to be the orchids that are the country flower for where they're from. So in winter in Denver on a Sunday, I'm out shopping for orchids. <laughs> oh, my. You know, but everything went smoothly. You wouldn't have a great story, right, Candy? Yeah, well, but it, I mean, when it was all over, um, well, then then the following day on this, that was Sunday, on Monday, I was introduced to a man named Francis, who had a bunch of students there for a competition going on, and all of their boxes that their servers shipped in were trashed. They were not going to be able to use them to get them back. Oh. And the size of a server, sort of an odd size box, you yeah. know, large and flat and long. And so I get on Uline and order them. And you have to order five. We need two. I have to order five of them. And I have them shipped to my hotel. Well, of course, I'm driving a Ford Explorer, so I think I can get them in. These boxes get there, and there's no way to <laughs> in my Ford Explorer. So we finally end up, if you made them into the boxes, they'd fit, but only one at a time. So I had to make two trips back and forth to the convention center with these boxes that only one would fit because the only way they'd fit is if you folded them up, the flaps wouldn't fold right. Oh, so anyhow, um, when it was all over, the guy who signed my contract says, Candy, has anybody ever presented you with a problem that you can't fix or that you didn't say no, uh, yes to? And I said, there have been two of those, Jerry. And he said, what was that? And I said, prostitutes and drugs. Oh. And those are the only two things. You won't, you won't answer those. <laughs> that I got to say no to. And I actually have a clause in my contract that says, illegal or immoral, I'm Not, out. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> you put it down in writing. That's great. Candy, it's great to hear the stories. Uh, where can people find you online? What's a good, uh, is, is it the boothmom.com? Yeah, boothmom.com. Boothmom.com. Cool. Can I, can I make one observation? Yes, you please. About 80-20, you know, how many people follow up on their leads? I think this is interesting because if you ever notice, they don't say that a company follows up on 20%, which might be their hot leads, and ignores 80. Or is it that 80% of companies don't do lead follow-up right. and 20% follow up on everybody? It is a vague statistic. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what does that really mean? When it comes to that, I find more companies that are more willing, the salespeople are more willing to do that top 20%. Right. And basically put the rest of them in a CRM for, you know, send them some content. Follow up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, but anyhow, yeah. That, that's an interesting statistic, but I like people to look at it and go, what does this really mean? Yeah. Break it down. What does it mean to our company? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Candy, thank you so much. I, I really okay. appreciate your time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, thanks again to Candy Adams, the booth mom. This week's trade show tip of the week harkens back just a few minutes to Candy's comment about the 80-20 statistic regarding leads and the ability or lack of ability of companies to follow up. My, my main three reminders, three points about lead generation and tracking 
grade the lead. Make sure that you know if it's a hot lead, a warm lead, or a cool lead. Do they want to get a follow-up like tomorrow, next week, or is it another month? Or is it, yeah, put me on a tickler file, call me in six months or, or longer. So want to make sure you know what that is. Uh, secondly, make sure that both you and the lead know exactly what the follow-up is and when it is to take place. So if it's, uh, I'm sending you a sample, I'm sending that uh, as soon as I get back from the show in about three days, or when I get back, I'm going to call you up, or we're going to go over this blankety-blank document, whatever that is, know exactly what that follow-up is and agree on it. And finally, number three, make sure the lead gets to the right department or person that is going to follow up and communicate all that information to them so they know what the follow-up is if you're not going to do it yourself. And so that that information gets back to them, that ensures a much higher percentage of uh, leads that get followed up on. All right, so uh, to close it out, one good thing. This week's one good thing is the new CD from Robert Plant called Carry Fire. It's a great collection. Uh, I've only heard it once. I look forward to listening to it again, maybe right after I, I get off of this. Uh, new collection from the former Led Zeppelin lead singer who just turned 69 this year. Uh, sounds pretty darn good at first listen. 69, that puts him at like 20 or 21. 20, 21 or so when uh, the first Led Zeppelin album was released. He was a young guy back then. <laughs> and I've heard him say, you know what? I, I didn't think I sounded very good back then. And any Led Zeppelin fan who thought Robert Plant was one of the great uh, rock and roll singers would probably disagree. But anyway, a great bunch of songs written by Robert, uh, for the most part, and the band. So check it out. Good stuff. New Robert Plant album. That's this week's one good thing. Thanks for watching and listening. Uh, be sure to tell a colleague and be sure to subscribe as well to the podcast. So uh, see you next week. Mm-hmm.